Hey, this morning, uh, I don't want to brag, but uh, I have over over 1,300 friends. At least according to Facebook, I have over 1,300 friends. And so I decided, you know, let me take a look at who these 1,300 plus people are. And so I started going through and I, I didn't get the, I didn't finish the entire list. And I realized that on that list of some of my nearest and dearest friends are people who are barely acquaintances. And there are a few people on there. I'm like, who is this? And so Facebook kind of stretches a little bit the definition of friends. For those of you who are still on Facebook, I know that's a little passe for some. I also noticed while I was on there, I'm thinking, okay, let's uh, do a little more sermon preparation. And so I, I looked on there and I'm going, I wonder if God is on Facebook. And so I looked it up and I realized that there were a number of people claiming to be God who actually have Facebook pages with the name God. And uh, after closer inspection, uh, none of them were his, were him at all. I mean, they, they were not legitimately God, but there were people who at least were pretending or, or play-acting God. But I realized that on my friend list, none of them were listed. And so according to Facebook, I am not a friend of God. But I've got some good news for you this morning, and that is God's Word tells us that we can indeed be His friend. And in fact, we can be His child. Some of you have discovered that, and for you, it is a great source of joy and comfort. And for others, you're wondering, what, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a friend of God? And today, we want to take a, a little bit closer look at that this morning and, and discover it together. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to the 33rd chapter of Exodus. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. So Exodus chapter 33, we'll begin in verse 7 here in a moment. But as you turn there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts up to receive what it is that you have for us today because we know that we are not here by accident. We know that you have a plan and a purpose for us to be here. And so, Lord, we ask that you speak. To some, Lord, you've already spoken this morning, and we are grateful for that. For others, we're sitting uh, amongst all of our troubles, our concerns, our anxieties, our mind is cluttered with a billion things, it seems. And we would ask that by the power of your spirit, that for this time you would sweep those aside so that we could hear from you. Speak, Lord, for we're listening. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, let's look together. And I will remind you, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we, we want you to bring it and open it. If you need a copy of God's Word... Then at our Grace at Home Resource Center, which is right across the way, we have some Bibles there that are right on top. And if you need a copy of God's Word, then we invite you to pick one up and take it with you. Uh, every Sunday I look, and I'm always uh, happy to see that one or two or three or more copies have been picked up. And so that's an awesome thing, and I rejoice in that to get God's Word in your hand. And we as a church are happy to do that. And we are glad to be able to provide God's word for you. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to begin 
in verse 7 today, and let's hear what the Lord has to say. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So Moses is camping it, evidently. He's got his tent, and we're told that he takes it outside the camp, and he pitches his tent. He sets up his tent. Now, when we read this, some of you may remember, if you were with us last week, that we, we actually looked at verses 1 through 6, and then we, we took a leap down to verse 12. And the reason we did that is kind of tie those passages together. And some people actually think verses uh, 7 through 11 are actually kind of a parenthetical insert to talk about what Moses typically did, just kind of information. But but when I read it and I reread it and I reread it, I realize this is not out of place at all. In fact, uh, my my correct my understanding of this is that verses 1 through 6, they they tell us about this message from God to the people that, hey, guy, you guys, you go ahead to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel with you, and, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you can take the land. It's okay, but I'm not going with you. And we read that when the people heard that, they said, this is disastrous news. This is awful. This is, we, we, we can't do this. And in fact, they did something that for this stubborn, stiff-necked people was a little bit out of character, but expressed some genuine remorse and repentance on their part. Because it says when they heard this message, this disaster of a message, that they could go, but God wasn't going to go with them, that they they mourned, they grieved over it. And in fact, they did something that was uh, symbolic of their remorse and their repentance. It says they took off their ornaments. Now, we talked last week that the ornaments could be any kind of adornment at all. It could be bracelets or earrings or necklaces, any kind of jewelry, a, a tiara if they wore one, uh, fancy clothing, anything like that, that they, they made their lives very, very simple before God as a sign of their remorse, as a sign of their repentance. And that's what we saw in verses 1 through 6. And then in verse 12, we saw that we saw the Lord's response, and that is when he saw the remorse of the people, he said, okay, he said, now that you've got a heart that's changed, he said, I, I'm, I will go with you into the land. Between these two, um, it's, and again, scholars are going to differ on this, and I'm no scholar, but I believe there was a time gap here, a period of, of days at least, where between how the people responded and then, and then the Lord saying, okay, I'll go. Uh, you've seen this happen, right? You've seen people who make that that change. They just have this moment where it just seems like, oh, I understand, I'm so wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this change, but it's not a change that lasts. It'll go on, maybe a little while. You know, they maybe they maybe the decision they've made is, you know what? I, I need to give up sweets. I've, I've packed on a pound or two, and I've been carrying it around, and I realize it's not healthy for me, and I, I want to be around, have some time with my family and watch my kids and grandkids grow up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to lay off sweets for now. And then, of course, as you as was going to happen, you're driving along the road and the hot light's on. 
And, and even without you knowing it, your car just whips in. And next thing you know, you're there eating a, a Krispy Kreme. It's just melting in your mouth. Guys, I need to go. I'm hungry. Um, no. Um, but, I mean, you know this, right? You've seen this happen. You've, you've seen it in your children or perhaps your grandchildren, a friend that you know, in your spouse, even in yourself, where you make these decisions. And it just seems so genuine, but it fizzles out just almost instantaneously how many new year's resolutions are just left in the dust right we just walk away from them because it's just too hard and so there's there there appears to be a period of time what's happening during this time is what we see verses 7 through 11 this is what we see this is what's happening during that time moses was taking a tent and he went out and he pitched it he said pitched it far away from the camp and so he, he went a ways. It was, it was a distance out there. It was in, was in eyesight. You could, you could see it out there, but, but it was a ways out there. And Moses would go out to this tent and he'd spend time with God at this tent. And anyone who wanted to seek the Lord would have to go outside the camp. They'd have to walk this distance to go out and be there where the Lord was. Why? That seems like such a waste of time, right? I mean, you just, just kind of pitch it right here and, and let this be the tent of meeting. Now, by the way, this is not the tabernacle. It has not been built yet. And so this is a tent that is kind of a pre-runner of the tent of meeting, which it will be the tabernacle. But it was called the tent of meeting. Why? Because that's where Moses went to meet with God. And anyone who wanted to, to, to meet with God went out to this tent. So why the tent outside the camp? I, uh, I, I'm firmly convinced that this is a visible display of the distance between a holy God and a stiff-necked, rebellious people. It was a it was a representation of the distance between God and man, and it's it's an incredible picture. By the way, when the tabernacle is built and God's presence comes to dwell there in the tabernacle in that special way. The tent of meeting is no longer way outside the camp. The tent of meeting is at the center of the camp, and all the people are camped around it. But here, Moses has to go way off. And I think this is a representation, uh, a very visual picture of this distance between between a holy God and this, this sin, sin-stained people, the people who are just rebellious, this visual distance so keep that in mind as we read on in verses 8 and following here we read whenever Moses went out to the tent this is what's happening all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent and when Moses entered the tent the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent of the Lord. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. This is what an incredible sight. Let me just encourage you as you're reading through God's word, take time to let this sink in here's this picture Moses gets up 
We don't know what time of day, early in the morning, middle of the day. We don't know. Did he go out there multiple times today? We don't, we're not told all that. But whenever Moses went out, the word got passed around and everybody went to their tent door and they watched as Moses walked to this tent that was set up, the place where he was going to meet God. And after he entered the tent, this pillar of cloud, remember, representing the presence of God, the pillar of fire was there at night, pillar of cloud at day. This pillar of cloud would descend there in front of the tent. And the people, when they saw this, it says they worshiped. Here is the presence of God in our midst. Moses gone to intercede for us, and they worshiped. For some people, worship is an interruption of their lives. Maybe not for you. But for some people, there are just things I'd rather be doing on Sunday morning. I don't see the necessity of getting up and taking a bath, a shower, and riding to the church building and hanging around with a bunch of church folks and have some guy get up there and rant and rave for a little while sing some songs I don't even know and and then come home just absolutely tired and I got to wash clothes and do all this other stuff. If I just got an early start on it, I can knock this stuff out and just enjoy myself on Sunday afternoon. Worship is such an interruption. If that's the way you feel, I'm I'm terribly sorry and anything we can do to dispel that we want to. Let me tell you worship is more than an interruption. Worship is an invitation. It's an invitation to encounter God in a way that you may not encounter any other time in your life. Yeah, you can. I hope you have a wonderful quiet time with the Lord, a devotional time each day. I hope that you have a wonderful prayer life where you're, you're talking to the Lord and hearing from Him. But there's nothing like gathering with the people of God. Coming sharing a common faith, singing songs together. Listen, I sing in the car, it's a, and it's okay, probably better. I sing in the car, but I cannot tell you the beauty and the glory of me. I get to stand right up here, so everybody's singing towards me. Not that I'm center of attention, but I mean, I, I'm getting all the sound. I'm getting it from the front. I'm getting it from the back. James, front row is a great place to be, isn't it? All right. Um, it, it, we, and I get to hear this and, and begin to listen to the words that you're singing. And even when it's Randy standing behind me, it's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing together. And we're told that God inhabits the praises of his people. God is living amongst that and, and we are breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise and it is a glorious thing. And I realize there are other things that you could be doing and there are other things that people are doing this morning. But this is an invitation to encounter God in a way that you will not encounter him in any other time necessarily during this week. And so the people, they get up, no matter what they were doing, middle of breakfast, doesn't matter. Moses heading out to the tent. Come on, kids, let's go out. There he goes. Watch him. 
He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's going to meet with God. He's going to get a word from God. And they would stand there, and when the, when the glory came down, when the, the pillar, pillar of smoke came down, pillar of cloud came down in front of, the, of that tent, and Moses was in there meeting with God, that they worshiped. And I pray today that you worship, that you're not just here, but that you worship. Well, what, what, what happened in the tent? Well, we're told that. Look at verse 11. It says, thus the Lord used to, this is incredible. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And I believe he was out there to keep people and just kind of barging in thinking they were going to have the same kind of thing. He was there to protect people um, from, from overstepping their bounds a little bit. So we look at this, and, and we know, listen, the Lord's spoken to Moses many times. I mean, uh, we began with the burning bush, and we can go through, and you can look at episodes where, where there's this communication between God and man, between the Lord and Moses. But what this indicates is something that is... Um, intimate but it is also customary and repeated and frequent he he continued to go out to this tent he continued to meet with god it was a pattern it was a a habit he was going to meet with god and it indicates that a relationship was being established remember moses is the guy who when god said this is what i want you to do moses said i don't think so I think you better find somebody else. I, I'm not the guy. Uh, I'm not going back. Moses, we need to remember where he came from. Moses was a man who had, who was born as a Hebrew, who was raised as an Egyptian. But after he killed that Egyptian, thinking he was, was doing a favor to the Hebrew people, he fled to go to the desert of Midian. And there he was a man without a country. He, if you look at his life, he was a man who cut it all off. He said, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm not going to live like an Egyptian. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not going to live like a Hebrew. I am a man who's just spending my time, using my years, watching the clock. Well, he didn't have a clock. Watching the sun go up and go down day after day. I'm biding my time, doing the best I can, just living life and surviving I got nothing nothing and it was this very man that God chose and said no I have <laughs> you are uniquely created for this task I have for you nobody else will do I choose you you go now this is how far he's come now he has this personal, intimate relationship with God. He says he met with God face to face. Now, again, when we say this, we won't understand this because if, you, we, if we jump down to verse 20, for instance, we would read there that it says that no human being could see God's face or they die. And so when we read face to face, we know it's not a literal face to face. He saw the face of God, God's spirit, right? 
he, literally he didn't see the face of God. Had he seen God's glory full on, he would have died. That would have been it. He'd have been toast. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that there was a closeness. He, he tells us, he said, he, he met with God as, as if two friends were sitting down to have a conversation. This is, this, is, this is the creator of the universe. This is the Lord of life. This is the one who had the power to not only bring the plagues, but to part the Red Sea, to make, make manna appear in the morning, every morning, to have quail fall from the sky, to let water flow from a rock. And yet Moses is having a conversation as if two friends were sitting down together i've got some friends like that from a long way back it's really interesting when you have some of these deep friendships it doesn't matter how many years have passed and what's occurred it's like you just picked up right where you left off right you've got some friendships like that and moses has this it's like two friends getting together now it's interesting and i do think this is helpful here's a an, a, an interpretation uh help for you when you are opening the Bible, you want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. In other words, if you're uncertain about something, that, that there may be another place in Scripture that helps you see a little more clearly. And in this, there is some Scripture that helps us to see a little more clearly. It's in Numbers chapter 12, and it sheds some light on what a, this face-to-face -face encounter between the Lord and Moses was like. And so we'll put the words up on the screen for you, but it, if you want to write it down, it's Numbers 12 verses 6 through 8, and here's what it says. And he said, hear my words. This is the Lord speaking. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And so God says, okay, to communicate to prophets, I, I use visions and dreams. But he goes on in verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him... I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Now, now you're probably going, okay, well, what does that mean? I thought you said he didn't sit down. It wasn't like a face-to-face -face encounter with the full-on glory of God. Well, we have some help in Scripture to, to see how this could have happened because we're not told exactly it could be, for instance, if you remember when Abraham, the Lord came to Abraham, he sent three messengers, they were angelic beings in the form of, of people, looked like people, and he was, he was going to have with him this discussion about uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and his, his nephew Lot who lived there in, in Sodom, and that there was this meeting, and then two of those angelic beings went down into town went into Sodom, but one remained with Abraham, and they had this conversation. And it sounds for all the world as if Abraham is talking directly to the Lord, because he is. This angelic being, this one who looked like a guy, God was speaking through him to Abraham, and Abraham was speaking through him to God. Could it have been something like this? Absolutely. 
Some say this was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Now here, I'm not going to argue either way. All I know is what Scripture tells me, and that is there was such an intimacy, such a closeness, such a friendship with God that God would, would, would come in a form that Moses could converse with like he's sitting across the table having a cup of coffee. Him and God. What we see here is an intimate, personal relationship between the Lord and Moses, and they spoke to one another as friends. And when I read this, I'm thinking, what an incredible thing. Number one, just to be one of the children of, of Israel, to, 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 to say, hey, hey, guys, Moses is going to the tent, and for everybody to come and to see the glory of God come down in the pillar of cloud, for Moses to go in and to go in and to, and to commune with God and to worship. That, I mean, that'd be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? I mean, we had the pillar of cloud come down there and we all got to worship. And we go, oh man, look at that visible manifestation. That's an awesome thing. But it gets even greater when we read about this man, Moses, who goes in and is able to meet with God personally, intimately, face to face, person to person, like two friends meeting together. And, and we come away from this going, Oh, I wish I could have something like this. This would be so awesome if there were a way for me to have this connection with God, this closeness, this intimacy, this where I could go and, and have the, be able to relax in God's presence and, and just share everything that's in my heart and know that He's going to listen and love me anyway and share all my struggles and share all my pains and share all my hardships. Wouldn't it be awesome if I could have something like Moses had? And listen, folks, I've got some good news for you. You can. I'm not saying God's going to sit down with you like a person across the table. But the same kind of intimacy, the same kind of relationship, the same kind of connection and closeness is what God wants to have with you. He wants to meet you. Let's look at what Scripture tells us. Uh, well, let, let me just tell you this up front. The Lord does not want you to merely know things about him. He invites you to become his child by faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to have that intimacy, that connection. So let's, let's look at a couple of scriptures. John tells us in John chapter 1, uh, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What we're told here is, that for us to have this relationship, this connection with God, this intimacy with God, we must be born again. What does that mean? That means you recognize that you're a sinner separated from God, but that God's love was so great that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins. So that if you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and embrace him as Savior and Lord, you become a child of God. You're not, it's not, hey, listen, you don't get a heavenly birth certificate. You know, it's not like being born in a hospital, but you're born by the Spirit. You're born from above. You're born from God Himself. You have a new life in Him. In 1 John chapter 3, we read, see 
what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. In other words, by, when we become the child of God, when we are adopted into the family of God, there's a knowledge of God, a knowing Him that takes place. And, and listen, uh, some of you have heard this before, but a lot of times the word, when we encounter the word know, that, the depth of that intimacy is so great that that word know is also used for sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now again, I'm not saying this has anything to do with sexuality when it comes to God, but a husband and a wife know each other in a way that no one else does. There's an intimacy to that. And then we read in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That Abba reflects a personal closeness. I referred to my father as, as daddy. My kids referred to me as dad. My grandkids are trying to call me chief. They're trying. Those words matter to me. There's nothing that melts my heart more than to hear Baylor try to say chief. Sometimes he gets it out. Sometimes it sounds like cheese. Sometimes it's just pho. And I imagine what it must be like for God when his child walks into his presence and says, Dad, I'm here. Father, I'm here. Chief, I'm here. And I think many times we, we've got this vision of God and He is distant. He is high and holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. And we don't want to take any of that for granted and we don't want to, we don't want to belittle any of that. But He has invited us through faith in Jesus Christ into a relationship with Him where He is our Father. He is our Heavenly Dad. And so many times we just, we, we, we just whitewash that. We just overlook that. And, and we, we see that the worship of God and, and prayer time with God and spending time with, in His Word, we see that as some kind of a chore, something that just needs to be checked off for the day. And God says, won't you just come in and, and sit down with me? Tell me what's on your heart. Tell me what's on your mind. I want to share with you what's on my heart and what's on my mind too. And some of you, you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like, but it, it comes in, like in waves for you. There's, there's, you know, like a mountaintop experience and then a desert time and a mountaintop experience and a desert time. Don't quit. 
Don't give up in the desert. Because I want to tell you something. God will meet you there too. Where do you think Moses was? There's an intimacy and a nearness and a closeness and a friendship with God that can be yours through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a God in heaven. He's perfect in all his ways, high and exalted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this, this holy God looks down among sinful humanity and he looks down with eyes of grace and he invites us through faith in Jesus Christ to become his child. And it is only in him that we are redeemed and adopted and become a son or a daughter of the king. Paul would write to the church in Corinth, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about this. The, the tent was far off, way out there. The sin and the rebellion and the stubbornness of the people separated them from being close to a holy God. That has not changed. What has changed is this. That through faith in Jesus Christ, God has reached down and taken the whole load of your sin. All the ugliness, all the stain, all the rebellion, all that that is worthy of his harshest judgment. And he's taken that from you. And on the cross, he placed it on his son. Jesus bore our sin. He took it upon himself. But God did something else. Paul tells us here. He took the righteousness that was Jesus's. Perfect purity and holiness. And he gives it to you and to me. So that when we stand before God, we do not stand there our own goodness and our own grace. We don't put our hands on our suspenders and say, okay, God, I'm here. Look at all the good things I've done. The only thing, the only appeal that we have before God is, I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who took my sin to make me clean. And having that cleanness, having that relationship, we're told that we can boldly enter the throne room of grace. We can boldly approach the Lord. Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence, with confidence, with assurance, draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace and help help in time of need. James chapter 4 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says this, not to people who are lost, but to people who claim his son as savior. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I read this and I go over and I look at Moses as he sat with God and conversed with God. And I look at Revelation and I see this invitation to us from God to come and to have that same kind of intimacy with him. God invites us to meet him face to face. He invites us to know him personally. He invites us to experience him daily. He invites us to enjoy him fully. And we may never have the experience that the people of Israel had here or that Moses had physically in that tent. We actually have something more, something greater. Because the Lord does not dwell in a tent or a building made with human hands. We are the temple of the Spirit. God lives in us. That same glorious, majestic, incredible God has chosen to live in us. And that means that no matter where we go and no matter what we experience and no matter how we feel, we have a nearness with God that will only be eclipsed when we stand in his glorious presence in heaven. Church, don't waste it. Don't minimize it. Don't shortchange it. God invites you to know him, to be his child, and to be his friend. And for those of you who have made that decision, then his invitation today would be draw near. Draw near. But there's some here today for whom this is a very foreign thought. That God would want that kind of nearness to you because when you look in the mirror, well, you see something is, is something totally unworthy of that. And how, how could there be a God who would love me like that? How could there be a God who would take everything that I've done and all the rebellion in my life and all the sin in my life and all the doubt in my life, all that, how could there be a God who was so great that he would just, he would just take that from me? Not, he, he wouldn't leave, he wouldn't leave an ounce. He wouldn't leave a spot. But he would do for me what I cannot do for myself. He would declare through Jesus Christ that I am holy, not because of me, but because of him. 
And if you're sitting here today and you do not know that you are a child of God, if you do not know that you have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you do not know that you're accepted in Him through Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you today to take a step of faith and to embrace Jesus, to accept this free gift of salvation, and to become today a child of God born from above, filled with His Spirit, washed in His love.